non giudicate se non volete essere giudicati. Con quel giudizio col quale giudicherete sarete giudicati e con quella misura con la quale misurerete sarete misurati. Perché osservi la pagliuzza che è nell'occhio di tuo fratello mentre della trave che è nell'occhio tuo non ti accorgi? Ragazzi, mi si smonta tutto. Il prima non si fa più. In due giorni qua non ci deve essere più niente. Bisogna cominciare subito. Coraggio al lavoro, buttate tutto. Dico bene, autore? Sì, grazie. Arrivederci, ragazzi. Ci vediamo in un prossimo Welcome to Cinema Italia, a podcast dedicated to the world of Italian cinema. Presented by me, John Bleasdale. and welcome to Cinema Italia. My name is John Bleasdale. I'm a writer and a film critic. And today I'm talking with Matthew Page and we're talking about Pierpaolo Pasolini's The Gospel According to St. Matthew. Hi, Matthew. Uh, and by the way, I should introduce you a little bit more because you've been on our uh, sister podcast, uh, Writers on Film, where uh, we were talking about your book. Oh, I forget the number. Is it 100 Bibles? It is, movies? yeah. Okay, just wanted to get 100 Bible films, yeah. Yeah, not a decalogue because that would be too short. No, no. So happy that you, uh, even though we're, this is becoming a little bit of a Pasolini-heavy podcast. Yeah, I was I was listening to your Abel Fer- uh, Ferrara one earlier. Uh, that was entertaining, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I hope it uh, didn't. I mean, he's just so worth talking to because he's so, well, he's just popping with ideas. Um, yeah. And uh, a friend of mine sent me a message that they'd just gone for dinner with him that same night. And they said, oh, he really calms down when there's no one there. You know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's kind of a little bit of a, a nervous energy, I think. What did you think of what he said about Pasolini? Um, yeah, I, mean, I thought it was, it was kind of really interesting. It's kind of really interesting because I think I, both the way he was kind of like, it was quite... He was obviously hugely influential on him as a director, um, mm. and yet it was a, you know, he was fairly kind of comfortable going to the things that he, you know, he was perhaps less, less on board with, which is, you know, I think it's quite rare, particularly for someone that goes to, you know, goes to the extreme of making a whole film about about someone, and has that kind of um, interest in him and and reveres him so much to also be able to kind of stand back and, you know, ask a couple of questions. That, that perhaps don't get asked very often. Yeah, so I thought it was, uh, um, yeah, that was I thought it was interesting from that from that perspective. And it's and it's such an interesting film, you know, uh, such an interesting way to it investigate a filmmaker and to explore their work is to kind of actually make a film about them. Um, you know, it's kind of I guess different from writing about them or watching their movies is to kind of enter that space and do it. So it's you know he's kind of got quite an, you know an interesting perspective. Yeah, it always reminds me of Harold Bloom's old concept of the anxiety of influence, where you have to go and you have to kill your sort of progenitor. You're the person who yeah. most influences you, and that uh, uh, the sort of may literally in Pasolini, he kind of has he 
because of the way Pasolini dies as well, you are yeah. sort of reenacting that sort of violent golden bow like succession. Mm, yeah, yeah, that's uh, an interesting point. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, this is for me. If somebody said, um, "Oh, I really want to watch some Pasolini," what would you suggest? Um, the Gospel according to Saint Matthew isn't the most typical Pasolini, um, but I think it's uh, perhaps his most accessible film. Yeah, I think I'd agree with that. I mean, he, I mean, he doesn't really have typical films in some ways. I think he, you no, know, his, his kind of output varies so much, um, and certainly it's it's a you know it's obviously a much more accessible film than Salo. Um, someone asked the question recently, you know. Is there a film that you could would never recommend to anyone, or, or, or words to that effect? And I think Salo is a brilliant, brilliant piece of filmmaking, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure I could recommend. You know, I don't I ever imagine being in a situation where I kind of encourage someone to see it. I wouldn't discourage people from seeing it, but it's it. You know, you have to kind of come to that conclusion yourself. I think. Um, and in a way, I suppose uh, Evangelos Conomateo is is at the opposite opposite extreme in, in in that respect i think there's a lot of the ideas that pasolini um both at the time was exploring but also you know went on that, that are kind of largely absent from 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 this film and and it, it's kind of yeah and so it is you know it is a very it is a kind of yeah, it's most accessible film and i think particularly when people are familiar with the story um which you know perhaps less so than than at the time he made it but I think compared to some of the other works he he adapts, then then you know it's a better known story than than say you know even works like uh, Oedipus Rex or um, uh, the Amadea. So mm, mm. And yeah, 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 definitely from that point of view, the Canterbury Tales he sort of he has yeah. a go at, and um, mm. the Decameron as well. I think yeah, and some uh, of those works are mass, you know, vast works, um, mm. and you know he just kind of picks a few stories from here and there, and so. Um, so yeah, it is probably also the one where it, there's the perhaps the least cutting away of you know, huge chunks of stuff. He kind of you know largely tells the story to roughly this you know roughly this time it would take to to read it, although slightly mm. less. But you know again relative to those longer works. Mm, no, absolutely, absolutely. The Gospels being a very a very sort of um, austere in some ways uh, texts. You know the the yeah. All killer, no, th- oh, no filler. <laughs> that's not. That's, I'm sorry. I'm becoming incredibly disrespectful. <laughs> um, uh, let's put this a little bit in context. So, yeah. um, Pasolini's making this in 1962. Uh, oh, sorry, 1964. You're right. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I'm getting it mixed up. I've just recently watched Boccaccio Setanta. Yeah. Pikachu 70, which is made in 1962. That's where that's coming from. Yeah. My, my apologies. Yes. So he's making it 1964. Um, it's a black and white film when um cinema is is it's well, black and white films are still around, but but cinema, yeah. cinema is transitioning into color. Um, where where is this in Pasolini's career? Um, well, I think it's a quite a kind of interesting uh turning point in a lot in a lot of ways. Um he started making films in 61 with um oh mine's gone blank uh Akatone. Akatone, yeah. yeah thank you Akatone, yeah um and then quickly followed that with Mamaroma. um and those you know his, his kind of first couple of films but then but and he's kind of exploring this idea i guess a lot there's there's a there's a kind of sense of 
optimism a little bit about him. I mean, he's never particularly a kind of uh, happy-go-lucky kind of director, but I think certainly as we go through his his career, he, his kind of work gets a bit darker and less less hopeful. Um, and I think really, um, Ilvangelo is a bit of a is a kind of a bit of a key point in that. I think from from that point onwards, things start to kind of move a, a bit darker in his in his, um, in his filmography. Uh, the other the other thing that I think is quite crucial for where he is as a, as an artist in this period is he's uh, having made uh, Akatuni and Mamaroma. He uh, then makes a, another one of these kind of um, portmanteau films. Um, or contributes to another one of those portmanteau films with his film La Ricotta, uh, which is also uh, crucifixion focused, also kind of focused on the Jesus story. But this is a story about um, about the kind of behind the scenes of making a Jesus film. And this was, uh, I mean, it seems very tame for anyone who watches it today, but actually ended him uh, up getting kind of getting prosecuted and getting suspended sentence because it was considered so uh, disrespectful to the the kind of Italian national religion. Um, and so this was this kind of came out the year before before the film uh, we're talking about today, Evangelo Secondo Matteo. And so it's quite you know it's kind of quite an interesting, I guess, response to all of that. Um, and then there's also issues that are running alongside it, such as you know his relationship to the kind of uh, Italian Communist Party, uh, PG, and um, and and I guess also the stuff that's kind of happen, happening in the Catholic Church as well, and his his relationship in that as well. Um, so so yeah, so it's 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 you know it's quite a kind of full on period for him, I think. Yeah, he's in an absolute maelstrom of of. I mm. mean, you, I think it's easy for us sometimes to look at these great figures and not quite understand how difficult it is to be. I mean. It, any one of these things would have you anathematized from Italian society yeah. in the 1960s. Being an atheist, outspoken atheist, being a communist, outspoken mm. communist, being gay. Yeah. You know, uh, I, I mean, um, the way his his sexuality is kind of public knowledge is mm. is fascinating as well. Any one of those things would be enough to to sink most people, and yet yeah. he, here he is writing novels, writing poetry, making films, uh, and I think actually a point from the Abel Ferrara conversation, which is interesting, is how he he talks about how Pasolini, despite uh, especially later on in his career, going into sort of the trilogy of death and going into a darker period. Um, yeah continuously is making stuff. So no matter what he's saying about, oh, it's hopeless, culture is dying, yeah. capitalism is winning, um, he's never never stops producing work. Yeah, that was really interesting, wasn't it? Mm, mm, yeah, that sort of consumerism is... Uh, and I mean, there's a huge contradiction there just because consumerism as, a, as an ideology, you can hate it, but then it yeah. reminds me of Steve Martin and the jerk. You know, I, I don't want the money. I just want the stuff. You know, it's, <laughs> it's that. That's my that's my politics. I don't want yeah. money. Money's evil, but I do want the stuff and mm. the air tickets and that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, his his whole kind of his whole kind of anti capitalism um, thing is is it kind of a fascinating driver? I mean, throughout it, it's. It's perhaps the most consistent thing throughout his throughout his career, really, um, and, and I think partly why things tend to get darker after this film. Um, but this film is very much about about that, um, mm. you know, and and that that kind of 
I mean, I mean, essentially, he he grew up in. You might have to help me with the pronunciation here, but uh, Fr- Fr- Friuli, is that uh, Friuli? Yes, Friuli. Yeah. Um, so he he grew up uh, he he grew up there in a kind of fairly rural context, and he's uh, you know his his kind of mum's family was from that peasant background. His father's family was a bit more had a bit more of an aristocracy kind of background, and and I think he he kind of had to leave there. I mean, you mentioned about him being in, in gay early. He had to kind of leave there when after a kind of uh, scandal up there related to that, and so he kind of ends up coming to Rome. But from then on, really, there's this kind of sense that he's he's trying to get back to that something about that way of life and that kind of um, well, to use his kind of word primitive kind of existence behind it. And he finds it at first in the in the slums in Rome and the the kind of the the kind of what he calls sub, sub proletariat in Rome, which is what, what kind of leads him to make. Um, Achtoni. Uh, and later he starts to kind of see it in the Italian South and particularly, you know, this f- film is very much a kind of film about the Italian South and then later on within the kind of global South. Um, but but essentially he sees that capitalism is kind of squeezing the life out, this kind of this uh, more archaic, uh, religious kind of sp- spiritual, sacred sense in the world uh, he sees that that's going to getting kind of strangled out by by capitalism, and it's starting to you know lose its lose its grip. And 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 this seems to be the the thing that he you know is is increasingly depressing as he goes on. And that's what I think. Many people were surprised when this film came out, and it wasn't satirical. It wasn't Laracotta. Mm. It wasn't yeah. go, going that route. It was actually you know I mean Scorsese has cited it as one of his main influences in the Last Temptation of Christ, and mm. Scorsese is a devout Catholic. I think he Scorsese wanted to make a Jesus film, and then he saw he saw uh, Pasolini's version, and he he said yeah basically basically ruined him. He, he kind of had to scrap scrap all his plans because it was you know what he'd been thinking of doing so right he said, he said i was moved and crushed at the same time by Pasolini's film that that's such an interesting that's an interesting thing and he has to sort of find another angle to get in yeah, there yeah. and he kind of i mean last temptation of christ um at the risk of a, a quick diversion into scorsese land uh is so interesting as a sort of because it's kind of a gangster movie it's kind of like yeah. i mean it's 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 got Jesus in it, but it's, it's Harvey Keitel. No more crosses, you know. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. It's... I mean, it's very much. Yeah, it's kind of in terms of its location, it sits out on its own in a way. But mm. I mean, so many of so many of Scorsese's themes are so prevalent in that in that film, mm. um, and you know, and all the and particularly you know, there's kind of yeah, I guess just the, the kind of the idea of the gang and the and the and the best friend and the you know and the conflicts and the violence and the getting an over your depth type, you know, all those, all those kind of themes that come up again and again are, are very much in that film. So, so yeah, it does take a very different angle from it and, and work it quite productively, I think. So, mm. But, mm. but I think, uh, sorry, going back to what you were talking about, the anti-capitalism, which is a strand yeah. that goes all the way through um, with this film, I think that's where he finds his, uh, uh, you know he, he, the similarities, the things which coincide with religion, and yeah. you know he de- he dedicates the film to Pope Giovanni, who was you know inf- mm. famously was was sort of like nominated the good pope, which also shows you yeah. how many <laughs> what what opinion people generally had of the popes that yeah, uh, yeah. that a good one felt exceptional enough exceptional enough to give a title like that to, <laughs> um, and you get a, a but but he you know. 
um, religion, you know, you people often quote the the Marx uh, sort of aphorism about you know religion yeah. is the opium of the masses, but you know the the end of that quote is um, religion is the heart in a heartless world. You know, mm. it's it's it, it, that's not uh, you know opium is pretty good when you haven't got any painkillers. Yeah, uh, and uh, having a heart in a heartless world is is very attractive. Yeah. Um, so I don't. Th- I think that his uh, the coincidence of of communism and and religion in in this film is not quite it's not quite as antithetical and not quite surprising as as I think uh, uh, a lot of us take it for. No, I mean I think he I mean I think Pasolini saw them as being you know great compliments to each other, and mm. I think his hope really was this film would bring the two these two aspects of his personality into into dialogue and, and these two kind of things he related to. I mean, you know, as you've said, he was, he was an atheist, um, but he was also, I mean, there's a kind of famous, famous quote that he, uh, he may or may not have said, but I may be an unbeliever, but I'm an unbeliever who has nostalgia for belief. And he also kind of describes himself as the least Catholic of all the Italians I know, which, you know, which is, again, is a really interesting quote because it still kind of, you know, presupposes the fact that he is, you know, in some ways he's, he's grown up in that Italian culture and it's an inescapably Catholic culture and those, those influences are there. And so, um, and so for him, yeah, I think he kind of thought that perhaps that a lot of the, the Marxism, and the communism that was around was, was a bit, uh, dry and, um, dry and, and kind of too, too kind of head based and, and it needed a bit more of the kind of the, the spirit of the, and, and the, the, um, I'm struggling to remember the, the precise word he uses in this, uh, for some of the stuff, but, 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 the, the, but also that, that the kind of Marxism could influence Christianity to be a, a more, or Catholicism to be a more um, thought out and approachable um, topic as well, and, and and so I think you know his hope was to to bring the two the two sides together, but I, I don't think it was particularly particularly successful in that respect. Mm, oh, in terms of like it's the public conversation, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, and so I think you know, I mean, it, it probably kind of a lot of his kind of communist contacts wouldn't necessarily say friends, but they kind of, you know, thought he, he kind of lost his, he's lost his mind with doing this and, and kind of felt him to be selling out. Uh, and it, you know, the film went down well in some, some sections of the church, although there was kind of, you know, bits of back and forwarding on that as well. But, um, but yeah, I think certainly it, it didn't, it didn't kind of bridge that gap in the way he'd hoped. Mm-hmm. So let's get into the film itself. First, first mm, I yeah. wanted to ask you, um, Matthew is is um, I'm interested in the choice of gospel as well because uh, I went yeah. to Catholic school and we, I remember we uh, sort of concentrated on the Gospel of Saint Mark as that was sort of considered mm. the most Catholic gospel. Um, I mean, I don't know if that's coming from anywhere further than the school I was at or or whether yeah. that's, that's a generally recognized thing. Saint Matthew's gospel is, um, of course. It, uh, it's your it's your name as well, so that's why you you're happy yeah. about that. <laughs> yeah, it always but, draws me into uh, to it. Yeah, exactly. I well, I prefer John. In the beginning was the word, and I'm a writer, <laughs> so that's perfect for me. Matthew was also the basis, I think, for Mel Gibson's The Passion. I think he he drew well. Yeah, I mean, he kind of draws. He, Gibson draws from various. You know, I think from all. Or four, really, to different mm. to different degrees, and perhaps Mark least of all, but then Mark's perhaps the least distinctive in that space. But certainly, there are elements of of Matthew's gospel in there that um, 
in Gibson's film. Uh, it is a really interesting choice for um, for, for Pasolini. I mean, the, the kind of the story goes that he was in Assisi to kind of um, visit a, a Christian group down there, and he got trapped in into his hotel room because the the Pope was visiting there at the same time, and so he's kind of stuck in the stuck in the hotel room with nothing to do, and he kind of so flips to his his, his Bible there. I don't know uh, if they have the Gideons in. Um, in Italy or not, but uh, the, you know, same deal. And, and he kind of basically was just uh, transfixed by by reading Matthew's gospel and, and the kind of the the force of the energy running through it, and you know, and the whole thing really. And so that that was the one he ended up making. Uh, I, I wonder if there are, yeah, you know, there's a certain amount of mythology around his kind of telling of the story of that, but. But certainly, he thought that Matthews was the was the gospel that he really really moved him, and yeah, he he kind of he had a, he, yeah the other ones. He, I'm just trying to um, find this quote that I uh, pulled out, but I can't I can't find it. Um, but basically, he kind of thought that Luke was too bourgeois, mm. um, and and John was um, um, was a bit you know he, he kind of thought of all of them. This was the most one, and I think this was the one that he thought had that had that revel revolutionary spirit most in it i think mm. he, he can't and, and he does you know and he portrays jesus very much as this this kind of marxist revolutionary um character oh yeah here's the quote uh, mark seemed too crude john's too mystical and luke's sentimental and bourgeois so mm. um so that's why he kind of went there um and yeah and 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 saying you know someone who walks up to a couple of people and says drop your nets and follow me is a total revolutionary so mm. um so, so that was the that was the sense that he really got with it, and I think particularly, I mean, he he kind of condense, I mean, naturally kind of condenses and cuts out a lot of the material, but he particularly focuses on this uh, one chapter that he leaves almost entirely untouched. is is from the end where he kind of Jesus uh, delivers this very uh, forthright, shall we say, speech to the the kind of the leaders and. Uh, um, and and that is the is the you know one chapter that is kind of left untouched and it's this you know it's this kind of furious rant shot over several different kind of scenes and locations but mm. um and i think that you know really seemed to be what um what really got him got him going with it um so so yeah so there's quite a lot yeah, it's quite a deliberate choice, I think, of, of Matthew. I mean, one thing I would add to that is I think Matthew's the, the one which is the sort of more argumentative. It's, I mean, uh, I think the reason I read about Gibson using it, people were sort of picking mm. up on, uh, of all the Gospels, it's the sort of most an, uh, anti-Semitic in the sense that it's arguing, it's very much an internal arg argument with Jews, you know, with the yeah. Jewish community. Uh, and, 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 you know, leaving... Any potential anti-Semitism aside, the idea mm. in the film is that there is arguments with with the priest, the priestly yeah. sort of. Now, if we allow for the fact that this is also a communist film uh, um, mm. or a film about Pasolini's relationship with communism, as you've already sort yeah. of in indicated, then the priests can also be read as sort of uh, apparatchiks, you know, the uh, the the upper echelons of party. Uh, yeah. Stalinist bureaucracy and 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 Jesus as a young revolutionary yeah. is sort of the the next generation that doesn't necessarily want to deal with 1917 and and all the rules that have been put in place, the Comintern, etc. Yeah, yeah, and again, certainly that passage, if you kind of look at that through that lens, it it, it kind of lends itself 
very you know very well to that kind of because it's you know it's a lot about the you know the blind guides and the and you know putting uh restrictions on people that stopping them being able to do do stuff so i mean those in some ways he kind of de-judaizes the 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 elements of it quite a lot um mm. and and he kind of i mean he i mean Pasolini loved loved a good kind of piece of headgear throughout his kind of his career but he, <laughs> he kind of has these um these kind of very notable uh large hats on on the kind of the the um the leaders in in this situation and um on a kind of from an artistic point of view they relate to i think it's pietro della francesca um mm. one of, kind of his paintings but but also there's a kind of resemblance resemblance to kind of bishop's mitres mm. um and so it kind of lines up those those characters you know in a few potential different di- directions so certainly there's a kind of anti-clericalism in, in there but i think also again trying to kind of Try, trying to kind of bring the two together, but maybe by by critiquing both sides a little bit as well. So let's talk a little bit about Jesus, because any Jesus mm. film is kind of only as good as it's Jesus. I think you know, yeah. If, if you don't have Willem Dafoe, if you don't have Robert Powell, um, Max von Sydow, you know, it's it's those performances which which are really going to because yeah. because it's more than just playing a character, you have to have a sort of charisma. And I think this film is one of the most spectacularly successful in that regard. Yeah, it is. I mean, even though, I mean, you, I think we have to kind of mention the monobrow before we go too much further. But <laughs> um, I, I, I'm glad you, I'm glad you're the one that brought that up. <laughs> um, but it, yeah, it, I mean, it is a, yeah, it is a fantastic portrayal, and and it's, I mean. I mean the the uh, Enrico Irizaco qui um his yeah I mean he's I mean he's an interesting interesting story with him as well and so he was a 19 year old Spanish student so he's one of the youngest uh, people ever to kind of play Jesus in the, in a major film like this hmm. and yeah so he was a fan of Pasolini's book and I think he was in Rome and he kind of just on a on a chance kind of said to Pasolini would you you know, could I come and come and meet you and say hello? And Pasolini said yes. And then I think Pasolini was then transfixed straight away um, by him and kind of asked him then and there if he fancied being Jesus. And and he didn't seem to um, be that keen <laughs> um, mm. initially, uh, but he kind of he kind of beat him into it. Um, and it is a yeah, it is a, a great performance. Um, and and also it's the um, but the voice is not. Uh, his voice. So his voice is uh, Enrico Salerno, who kind of dubbed various other um, bits and pieces and appeared in a few films himself. And he, yeah, and it's quite an interesting, it's quite an interesting contrast between the, the kind of the figure and the the, the kind of angry faces mm. <laughs> and body and body language of uh, of uh, Irizaki and and Salerno's kind of like booming, um, angry voice coming out at the same time. And so, yeah. So it's uh, it's it's a very it's. A, <laughs> I mean, I think what tends to hit people with it um, is when they first watch it, and, and certainly at the time, is is how angry mm. uh, the character of Jesus is, and it's quite often called the kind of yeah, the angry Jesus film or, or, mm. or whatever. Um, but it's quite surprising that that quite often actually he does smile and he is quite uh, relatable, particularly in the presence of children, um, the kind of innocence and other other scenarios. He we do kind of see certainly compared to. I mean, you mentioned uh, Max von Sydow. Uh, certainly, compared to his Jesus, he's he's a much mm. more believable and human and human character. Um, even if uh, he has got a bit of a bit of a temper on him, but mm. um, 
But I think that's what makes it such a magnetic performance, I think, is is that is just that kind of steely eyed determination about the whole thing and, and, and the way Pasolini shoots him as well, you know, I mean he's kind of I mean one of the yeah, one of the I guess the most memorable shots is of the back of it's off the back of Jesus' head as he's kind of like, because he's kind of constantly doing this kind of storming around, doing this, you know, marching around and the camera's almost, almost struggling to kind of keep up with him as he goes. Mm. And so, yeah, so it's, yeah. So there's just, it's just a really forceful, forceful portrayal. Absolutely. And I, I'm glad you mentioned the, the, how he's filmed because the, the cinematography here by, uh, um, uh, Bonino delle Colle, absolutely legend- yeah. legendary Italian cinematographer, does lots of the new mm-hmm. wave. When Jesus is introduced, it just sort of does this wonderful shot where it sort of tracks him as he moves through a crowd, and it's a very shallow yeah. focus. So it's almost like a, you know, the zoom is picking him out from almost like a documentary, mm. and it just follows him, and he seems to be almost like gliding through this crowd towards yeah. John the Baptist, and it's just so, you know, you just see you you feel like Pasolini must have felt when he first met him. You just you're, you're yeah. enraptured by him, and it's you know, and, and this, you've got Odetta going on in the soundtrack as well at the same time in that shot, haven't you? Absolutely, just, yeah. Just kind of adds to that. Sorry. No, no, absolutely, absolutely. You're right, and I think it's also you know, it's one of those things which Pasolini does, which I don't think is particularly subversive. I think it's actually quite congruent with with. Uh, Italian Catholicism is mm. that he masters the sort of erotic charge of Jesus. You know, yeah. everybody follows him because everybody kind of fancies him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, certainly he's you know he's he's obviously a very attractive act- actor, and there's a real there is a real well there is yeah I mean I think superstars today and and kind of you know they're almost so kind of slick that it. You know that he he doesn't fit into that bracket at all. But in terms of that kind of sixties, Alan Delon type, you know, um, mm. the kind of um, Alan Bates type, yeah, you know, the kind of slightly rough around the edges um, figure. He's you know he's very much in that in that mold, and it, you know he's a very very magnetic presence. And uh, you mentioned earlier as well about the locations. I mean, there was originally mm. the idea was they were going to go off and you know, film this in Palestine and, and things like that. I think more or less every Bible movie starts with that as maybe <laughs> the, the publicity department has the same sort of, yeah. uh, but it's filmed almost entirely in Italy. Um, yeah. Partly in Sicily, I think for, for the, uh, the scenes with him going off into the desert is actually yeah. Etna, which yeah, is. That's right. Uh, yeah. Which he you, returns to with um, Tirina, doesn't he? Absolutely. A wonderful. Yeah. Uh, what, yeah wonderful shot towards the end where the guy's naked on, yeah. on Etna. Uh, a, a, a photograph, we, a, a scene which I reenacted, you'll be happy to know, last, <laughs> last Easter. Uh, not nude, I, ha- I hasten yeah. to add, but um, I, did the, I did the shouting, uh, um, yeah, in, in Etna, on Etna, I should say. Yeah. Um, uh, and and of course the town which is used is um, Matera, which was more more mm. recently seen in the latest James Bond film. Um, oh, was it? I hadn't. Yeah, seen that's the picked, town. I hadn't picked that up. That's the town at the very beginning where he's sort of driving around with Leia yeah. Sedu. Um, well, he uses it quite a lot, doesn't he? Matera, it kind of stands in mm. for for various various places in the Jerusalem, sort of um, uh, Nazareth and Beth. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I mean, in a way, this makes Pasolini sort of similar to Renaissance painters, where you know, 
a lot of biblical scenes you sort of like wait, wait a minute that's a hill outside florence <laughs> what's yeah. that doing in yeah. galilee you know those are cypresses you know and they're uh um you know more that looks like just outside of rome rather than mm. uh, rather than palestine um yeah i think that was very much his intention though um mm. i mean he, he kind of I mean, the thing about the shooting on location in uh, in Palestine um, he's kind of a bit contradictory about that. So mm. he kind of sometimes, he, I mean, he obviously he made the film. He, when he went to Palestine, he went with a, a kind of Catholic priest to kind of scout it out. And, and they then made released this film with some of the footage called um, uh, Soporuji in Palestina per Evangelist Secondo Matteo, uh, scouting for locations in um, for the Gospel according to Matthew. Um and and in that he kind of goes through this thing and looks at it, you know, looks at it, and it all kind of looks a bit too modern. He talks about the the you know the the landscape being a bit spoiled, but but in other places he talks about how the fact he kind of more or less decided he wanted to do it in the south anyway. And I think it's it because of that, um, it's trying to again capture that um, that kind of epic uh, that kind of epic spirituality, epic, epic sacredness, which he he. Th- for him was kind of like in the faces of the people around there. And because also he's trying to tell the story by using a series of kind of analogies in his, in his work. And so, Mm. I mean, I think it, yeah. So, so he's kind of, so he's not, he's not, I think people often think he's, you know, trying to kind of use Matera to to pass for, for Jerusalem, which is a bit like, I mean, Mel Gibson uh, shot some of the passion there as well, which and mm-hmm. that was what he was trying to do. Whereas almost, I think Pasolini is trying to kind of bring the bring these parallels of what for him was modern day. But I think almost for us, sixty years later. I mean, you've already mentioned the kind of black and white thing versus the color, um, but also, yeah, that gap of sixty years as well. But also perhaps the, the difference between where uh, the kind of Italian South was at that stage in the early 60s and mm. and you know the, the kind of gap between there culturally and the north um was you know was huge at that time and so i think people quite often see some of the choices pasolini makes and almost kind of don't really realize that that they're almost like places that were and, and you know things that were kind of 20th century they because they seem much older than that mm. um but but actually he you know there is a kind of he is trying to kind of pick out that area in that region and some of those those things um, and Matera was um you know Matera today is a kind of UNESCO site isn't it and the mm. uh, the, the uh, Sassi uh, where it was shot but it, it um but at the time it was it was completely looked down on and it wasn't mm-hmm. you know and, and and wasn't valued as a place at all and part of the reason that it it got that that UNESCO status was because Pasolini went there and and shot and shot the film and they kind of you know people started realizing what a valuable thing thing it was but i think what's really interesting and this goes back to the ricotta as well mm. is when i re-watched it in preparation for talking to you there's yeah. um i all and i feel this with almost all pasolini's films even though i've seen La ricotta which is very much about here's a film and here's outside of the film yeah there doesn't ever seem to be an outside of the film to his films. There's no sense that if you move no. the camera to the left, you would see a bunch of people, you know, dressed in modern dress, holding a boom, uh, and the catering truck is over there, and the you know, partly because if you did see those things, as in La Ricotta, their life would be similarly Pasoliniano. or <laughs> their life would similarly, yeah. you know, would would be within that universe. Um, 
I there are bits of this film which really convince me um, that I am watching something which is entirely in its own universe in a way that I don't, you know, I don't feel that with the passion. I don't feel, you know, yeah. it's a little bit like, um, you know, the uh, quest for the Holy Grail. You know, it's only a model. You know that yeah. that that sense of you know inescapable moviness about it. This mm. has moments of real strangeness that are just totally its own. I'll give you an example. When the archangel just turns up and yeah. it, it's indicated by the sound of children playing suddenly disappearing. Yeah. Um, that's just something that is so stunningly simple and yet mm. uncanny and weird that um it, you know, he just seems to have these amazingly simple ways of conveying something utterly, utterly mysterious and unknowable. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I totally agree. I think it, it, it's, I mean, it's, yeah, it, he, he just does these, you know, very kind of simple things. And, you know, he was kind of, I mean, people almost thought when he first did uh, Akatoni that, that, you know, he was, they didn't really get what he was doing. And he was almost kind of criticized for being quite naive and not having really got a grasp of it. And he played along to that slightly, but he did, you know, he just has these, these incredible ideas and these ways of, of putting things, things across. And, and, and it's really interesting you saying that because I think, you know, people often, um, it's often said that this is a kind of near realist film. Um, with Pasolini was, was, very against that idea you know i think he never saw any of his work as near realist because for him the nearest were i mean quite well partly he saw them as being a kind of response to fascism and that being you know a kind of time that had now passed um but also the for him that the, the kind of near realists were trying to kind of make it look like reality even though that was essentially a false you know a falsehood that it was reality it wasn't reality whereas what he was trying to do was was kind of quite happily use lots of different mixtures of things. He talks about this idea of contamination and bringing these things into opposites with each other, um, and to, you know, and so he's not so he's not really trying to kind of produce a, a reality, and yet he also kind of, as you say, brings this brings this kind of really you know this really un, just this is unusual combinations just these very kind of moving moments i mean i mentioned the uh, odetta song before but mm, yeah the, the motherless but child that, the which is of, just like perfect yeah. what a perfect choice and that black yeah. spiritual you know yeah yeah and it just you know and, and again it's i mean again you know the kind of the types of music are all you know you never find that mix of music in the near this film um, mm. and it's very you know if you sit there and think about it and analyze it and say you know it's those things are all all quite jarring and out of place, and yet somehow when it brings those things together, it still has this kind of sublime sublime nature about it. And you know, as, as you say, a kind of really, um, yeah, just a, a kind of real power, um, and uh, yeah, and just makes these moving moving moments throughout the film. Because I mean, you know, I mean, it's weird because there's a real paradox here. Because in one sense, I'm saying there's a certain authenticity to it, where I'm yeah. not, I'm not thinking of the. But it, you're right; it's not a sort of pretend documentary, and it's not convinced. You know, I mean, no. jo Joseph is Joseph's haircut is yeah. is is post-war Italian. It's not you know mm. um, year year zero. You know, it's uh, yeah, you know. 
one year, nine months before Christ, I guess would be the most accurate uh, dating. Yeah. It's it's basically he's just you know he's in he could be in a vest watching the football on a, on a portable TV. Mm. Um, so there are there are loads of bits which, but he sort of somehow grasps a timelessness. For instance, and we've already yeah. mentioned this, so it, it's worth maybe maybe bringing up again. For instance, his treatment of children. You know, his the children. Mm behave in a way that children have behaved all the time and so yeah that's an element of sort of uncontrollable reality which is just there in front of the camera um, yeah. and and it, it yeah there's my church bell going for <laughs> <laughs> right on cue yeah no exactly yeah, yeah um yeah go ahead Matthew well yeah I mean it... I mean, he does a he does a whole lot with the kind of. I think one of the reasons as well it it, it feels that is because of the way he does focus on all these characters that aren't the main characters. I mean, obviously there's a lot of attention on Jesus, but then there's quite a big drop between any of the other kind of kind of characters emerging. Um, but it, it it kind of casts it wide, casts it wide, and so you get all these incredible kind of close-ups of people. I mean, I think something like. Um, there's a, a video essayist who, who's kind of basically condensed all the, cut out all the non-close-ups in the film. And he, he reckons 40% of the film is close-ups. Wow. Um, and yeah, and they're just, and again, this gives it this kind of timelessness because the focus so much is on, is on the faces and they're, you know, they're, face, they're the faces of children at times. They're the faces of, of old toothless men of, you know, you know, um, middle-aged women beautiful young men um and the whole you know the whole the whole, but there's just so much focus on on that element and i think that almost surpasses the kind of costume drama thing because it's um because it's that focus on the eyes and the human face and that the kind of you know looking into the looking into the soul i suppose perhaps and I'm kind of reminded of uh, of uh, Carl Theodore Dreyer as well, who was a huge influence on Pasolini and um, his uh, Joan of Arc film. Uh, of, again, you know, huge number, huge percentage of close-ups in that film. But but the kind of the fabled thing that he did was he got you know they built this incredible expensive set for that movie, and then Dreyer just shot all the faces. Mm. <laughs> and and, and but but I think that kind of spirit is in this film as well because you've got you know you've got all all the things you could be showing and the kind of the see you know the scenery and all the other things but it's just a, that real focus on something as simple as the human face and the kind of the rea- and and it's the it's the, the it's the telling of the story by the reactions that's so fascinating the kind of you know it's almost it, it kind of takes that shot reaction shot thing to another another level because so much of it is done by people just sitting there and listening and and very move very imperceptibly but that being you know but that being the thing that kind of moves the story on and the, kind of the reactions to to who jesus is mm, absolutely and that then uh, sort of it's as we as we go on we're moving inevitably towards sort of the tragedy of of christ uh, mm. and, and the story of of um the crucifixion that moment of yeah. uh, uh which which yeah, again in the 1960s i guess in every era um has different resonances you know mm. this is a this is a post war post holocaust G, uh, film about about the uh the crucifixion it's it's not you know it 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 has that 20th century history 
mm. in it as well. It can't it can't escape it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I mean, it, I mean, it's quite interesting. The the kind of style of filmmaking changes a little bit towards towards the kind of end of the film. It becomes the the kind of close ups are much less. Mm. Um, and perhaps one of the most famous scenes is is when he's kind of Jesus is is being tried, and this is one of the scenes that is, uh, I, I suppose, is quite in a lot of Jesus films is played in a way that is kind of problematically anti-Semitic or, or mm. kind of in a way that is re- recycling some of those, some of those stereotypes. Um, and with Pasolini, I think we, you know, we get, I mean, I, you know, I've read a couple of uh, different uh, Jewish uh, scholars on this and they, and even they kind of disagree as to whether, you know, Pasolini is effect, you know, de kind of Judaizing enough that, that, his use inclusion of you know one of the, the kind of most damaging verses in Matthew's gospel is the his blood be us, on us and our people, mm. um, which in Mel Gibson's film he eventually didn't subtitle but still had in the original translation, which is mm. a weird decision. Um, Pasolini includes it here, um, and I mean I guess you know a lot of the kind of key work within the Catholic Church happened very soon after um, Pasolini's film, but but they kind of made quite a lot of statements about what was and wasn't a good idea in this context. Mm. Um, Pasolini's working without that context. So I think that's important to to kind of remember a little bit. Um, so he does include that line, but the whole that whole scene is shot in this kind of courtyard. Um, but it's a fairly small courtyard. Um, so there isn't a kind of the kind of Gibson-esque heaving crowd well gibson mm. zeffirelli various for the um, directors this kind of heaving massive crowd all pushing desperate to see him him killed the the setup here is very is very different we, on the far side of the courtyard we have this kind of like you know these these um leader figures and jesus and the kind of cross-examining him and then there's a huge gap across the courtyard and then just around the edge you know around the other three edges or two edges at least is is this crowd uh, mm. you know this kind of two or three deep level crowd and there's this you know and there's a kind of real reticence there and and the camera during these scenes is in the crowd and kind mm. of like bobbing in and out and Jesus is almost kind of out of focus and you lose sight of him behind someone else's head and all this kind of stuff and so so yeah so it's it is a yeah so it, it is an interesting I think attempt to kind of gr- grapple with some of that stuff and and to try and um perhaps to kind of conscious of that post-Holocaust course context and trying to, to re-wrestle with some of those things. Mm, mm, absolutely. And I, I, I mean, I think that's really interesting as well, because there's a, there's a sort of fetishization somewhat of, of Pontius Pilate in, the, mm. in, in that sort of, uh, you know, we sort of see him as, uh, uh, you know, Saint Paul cozying up to the Romans. You know, he mm-hmm. he wasn't that he wasn't that bad. He wasn't the you know, um, yeah. w- whereas in fact historically he was a really vile figure. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, he he was. I mean, he basically he got he got sacked in the end for being too violent. So, if you're too violent for the Romans, who <laughs> the you know people who invented crucifixion as a mass punishment method, then yeah, that really puts that in in context and and as you said and so many i mean pilots in this only very briefly anyway but so many of the the kind of jesus films show you know pilot as as this kind of 
certainly relative to his kind of Jewish counterparts, or even even the idea that that their counterparts is completely fallacious because you know the Romans were in charge, they had the army, the the Jewish people were conquered, and so. Mm. Um, but you know you can, but he's always there's almost a kind of nobility or respectability about Pilate um, mm. Mm. in in a lot of these films. I mean, even I mean, I think the best example actually is um, is Last Temptation, which we mentioned earlier. Where where pilots play by an actual pop star, yeah, <laughs> yeah, he, David Bowie, yeah, 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 and so it's um, yeah, and so, I sorry, I've lost my thread now, but, but it's, it's uh, kind of the what is truth, uh, element. Yeah. It's like, oh, what a cool guy, what that what yeah. a snappy phrase, you know, yeah, and the washing of the hands and everything, uh, yeah, and, and obviously the what is truth passage is not here because it's not that's John, not Matthew, right, um, so so. So yeah, mm. well, when I think mean, this is a bit of a crass question, but I'm going to ask it anyway because mm. uh, um, how do you feel that this uh, the the crucifixion, which is sort of like uh, you know it, it's well, I mean Mel Gibson makes almost the entire film about that. Um, yeah, how does this compare? How does Pasolini's treatment of it differ, and how does he he do something which isn't which which isn't repeating what's already been done? Well, I mean, it, it, it it's over fairly it's, it's over fairly quickly, mm. and it's um, he doesn't linger on it, does he? No, he doesn't. I think probably the most the most innovative thing he does is the, is the kind of the more documentary type feel camera work, um, which you know, as I say, there's this kind of big contrast between these amazing close ups, but also this kind of this news footage style. Um, footage that he he puts in, and there are you know there are a couple of kind of real really good moments of that. Um, but in in some ways it is quite similar. I think certainly compared to if you look at it next to King of Kings and um, the Great Story Ever Told, and then compare that to I mean obviously the Passion of the Christ is an extreme, but any of the you know but but similarly Last Temptation of Christ or various ones of the other of other Jesus films that have happened since. And conversely, ones that happened before, there does seem to be quite. A, you know, I think there's quite a similarity between those three um, mm. because there's a kind of you know, it's a relatively short element of the story. It's not kind of dragged out as it is in some films. Um, it's a relatively bloodless crucifixion, mm. um, and yeah, and and there isn't much. There isn't much of kind of like really dwelling in 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 the suffering aspect of it. I suppose. Um, so, so yeah, so it, I think more of the innovation always happens on the road to the cross than the actual cross scene itself. I mean, there is one shot that's talk, talked about sometimes is in terms of that, the, there's a shot from behind the cross, which is, um, you know, kind of different from the more typical shot from the, you know, in front of the cross and, mm. and that kind of, um, I can't remember now what that was meant to, why that was meant to be significant, but, um, but it, it kind of, I suppose it chides in a little bit with some of the the way that the crucifixion is shot in um, or the crucifixions are shot in Larricotta. Yeah, yeah, I was thinking about that that being on his mind that he's mm. you know he's parodied this idea of filming this and then he's actually filming it yeah. and he has to avoid the parody or does he lean into it? Yeah, uh, and well, behind... I think I mean one scholar talks about how you know he kind of he almost needed to make Larricotta to get it all out of all that stuff out of his system out of his you know his kind of like. Um, Saitsaki humor, his um his perhaps some of his anger, perhaps his desire to kind of because I mean he was an art historian, he had a you know fantastic background in 
uh, art history and you know and we see that crop up time and again in his work but he almost kind of empties himself of all that stuff so there's very there's not very much really here kind of classic christian art history in this film and so yeah and and so that was so, so it's almost like he, he kind of entered all that and then he could kind of focus on just this part of the story I mean, I think it's it's interesting as well from a from the Italian perspective um, mm. that this kind of, we in Italian schools you do storia dell'arte, which is history of art, and yeah. and more or less everyone does it, and it's all right. in, and because there are just so many exhibitions and so many churches with so mm. many you know um, so many uh, uh, artists you know literally everywhere, yeah. you. You know, kids go into these. Kids are absolutely dosed with this stuff, and I'm mm. sure it was even more the case in Pasolini's time. I remember going to a place uh, near Pisa, and there was a big um, Perugia. It was, um, and there was this big exhibition in in like the municipal art gallery. And I yeah. went, in and it was like it was the Madonna and Child, an exhibition, and we went through it, and there were literally like. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of paper paintings mm. of exactly the same subject, the Madonna, yeah. the Madonna and Child Madonna. And it was kind of weird. At one point, I was like, this is ridiculous. This is actually, it's like uh, when you repeat a word so many times. Yeah. What's that called? Semantic aphasia, where you yeah. repeat it so much, it's, it becomes meaningless it's kind of the same thing but we're, but then yeah. actually it kind of became genius because you were sort of seeing all the little changes and the minor mm. you know um and there was sort of an Andy Warholian sort of power to the repetition yeah um so I so I, this not only is Pasolini as a filmmaker making this film with a very broad and deep knowledge of sort of biblical scenes in Renaissance painting but yeah. his audience, even his sort of his audience, will be watching this with with that knowledge and with those reference points. Yeah. It's not going to mm. be like, oh, we've we haven't seen this before, you know. It will yeah. be new, it will be fresh, it will be vital, but it won't be unfamiliar. Mm. No, yeah, I don't, yeah. I mean, I think that's very true, and you know, and there is that kind of story that. Yeah, the story is known through, I mean, it's kind of, you know, such an apt metaphor in a way, because the story is so known through through the visual art and through the visual portrayals. And, uh, yeah, and, and and it's kind of interesting that there is, you know, I mean, various people have looked at this and tried to kind of draw out different artworks where he reflects, but mm. he does, you know, he does largely seem to kind of try and do something new and try and do things in slightly new ways. Um, and I think the fact that, it, you know, we kind of, People talk about the hats, um, partly because they're so striking, but partly mm. because they do have that. Um, you know, they are a kind of reference to the, these earlier works. But other than that, he 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 does succeed quite a bit of, of doing it in a different, doing things in a different way. I think. I mean, I, I mean, I'm less versed in all the uh, you know all that kind of Italian historic Christian art than than I'd like to be, and perhaps you know perhaps you know more about it with the. Oh this... no, I absolutely don't. I'm absolutely mm. that. That's what I mean. Is like any 14 year old kid here will know yeah. more about Italian Renaissance Christian yeah. art than I will because mm. they they'll be have already done two years of it at school. Yeah, and they'll already have had three or four field trips and 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 what have you to. You yeah. Know, um, well, even to the local church, you know, you go to a, yeah. a local church in a relatively small town, and you'll see a Titian or a Tintoretto or, or a, you know, Giorgione or, or or some someone from yeah. that period. 
Um, so uh, to, to sort of wrap wrap this up, um, your expertise is is very much as well as cinema in general. Uh, is you know you, uh, you've looked at these religious films in particular. Where mm. does Pasolini's film stand in that tradition? Do you think? Well, I mean, I think it's probably. I mean, I think it's pre- it, it's probably the one that emerges as the best out of all out of all those religious films. Um, I mean, people have their own favourites, and you know, people like different ones enough, and that's to do with kind of you know which ones work with people's th- theology. But I think it tends to be the one that is appreciated by most people from different perspectives, from a kind of film critic's point of view, certainly. Mm. Um, yeah, and and I think. Uh, you know, it's one of the films that really has a, a lot of ideas going on and is trying to say a lot of different things. So, um, so, so yes, yeah, so it kind of it emerges as a real, a real leader in that respect. Um, within kind of Italian, the Italian tradition as well, I think it becomes um, there's this sense with subsequent Italian Jesus films that that there always seems to be a kind of a nod back to this film. Mm. In How a way it, that, like even Franco Zeffirelli's sort of uh, mini series as well, Jesus of Nazareth. Yeah, well, well, yeah. I mean, that's I think that's one of the interesting things because there's perhaps less so with with that film, but that film was you know it was a massive film at the time, mm. um, and yeah, you know, and through the kind of eighties and nineties. Um, but what you see when you come a little bit later is that some of the more subsequent filmmakers, it's the Pasolini one that they that they are kind of like making little nods to and referencing, mm. um, you know, whether it's the kind of to do with the, the kind of style of it or the, the kind of use of close-ups or, or the kind of, you know, cinematography, and, you know, just, just all kinds of different elements. And, and, and Rossellini in that, in a similar kind of, I mean, you kind of have this 14 year period um, where you get, uh, Pasolini makes this film, Rossellini makes Il Messiah, another Jesus film, um, as his last ever film, and you get Zeffirelli's one. But it's it's you know even with those kind of three great filmmakers and those three such you know such admired works, um, it's Pasolini is the, is the one that is the one that really stands out. Mm. Um, and and then I guess from in terms of how it handles the text, there's you know there's just a whole. It handles the text in a very in, in an unusual way. So there's been other attempts to kind of film a single gospel word, you know, absolutely word for word, mm. um, which uh, it probably won't surprise you and the listeners to know is not been have not been particularly successful because they're just not that kind of text. Mm. Um, but very few films then decide having you know having decided not to go that route. Most of them then go to the kind of well, let's just you know bring all these different bits together and kind of mm. make them into one amorphous, amorphous sort of story. Tol- Tolstoyan sort of project. Yeah. Of let's, yeah. You know, just and, squish everything together. Yeah. And cut, cut and pasting. And we like this, or we like the, you know, for God's soul of the world bit from John, we'll stick that in. And we like the, uh, we like the power of the good Samaritan from the, you know, um, mm. so it's quite, it's quite singular in that approach of just having that focus on, on the one gospel and mm. and kind of both taking that gospel out of the context of the other ones uh, where it sits in the bible um having that kind of single-minded focus drawing the attention i think to to what matthew does as a writer mm. and so there's quite a lot of the little 
just things like the transitions between scenes and the way those things are put together uh, that kind of mirror the way kind of Matthew works linguistically as well. Mm. Um, the kind of the, you know, the kind of the jumps and the suddenness and the, um, the jarring, for example. Um, and, and even things down to like, I mean, the Sermon on the Mount is a much discussed scene because you get, instead of with all the other Jesus films of the time, you have a, you know, you have a great big mountain and you have a huge set piece around it. And then, you know, people sit, you know, sit there and listen or stand there and listen. Here we get this kind of montage effect, and mm. it, it's just on it's just on Jesus's face, but the locations, the weather, the time of day, all these things are changing, and and it's and that's that's a quite astute technical um, technical move in terms of kind of like kind of biblical criticism, or this kind of source criticism, or, or mm-hmm. whatever, because you know it. I mean, most most scholars and, and you know don't think there was just like one sermon it was kind of a kind of perhaps a compilation of his his greatest hits or alternatively that you know he used these same stories again and again as you you know as most most good circuit speakers do they have their their few things that they go around repeat and so it's a really clever way of portraying that and and that's a very you know sermon on the mount is is only a matthew thing and it's Mm -hmm. only um yeah and it is a kind of similarish version of Luke, but it, it, it's quite different. And so, so it's yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a unique project in that way, I think, because it because whereas they tend to kind of harmonise and perhaps look put the focus very much on the idea that perhaps this is how it all happened. This film is much more about this is a, a gospel that has had this effect over two thousand years. I mean, it, you know, Pasini has has this quote about. Um, wanted to reconstruct the life as it really was. I wanted to do the story of Christ plus 2000 years of Christian history mm. and Christian translation. And, um, and, and, and that really is what he does. He, he, you know, it, it's a, oh, there's still a focus, you know, Jesus is still the central character. There's still that focus, but it's, it's this, but also there's, very, you get much more of a sense of Matthew and what, and what that, uh, the writer and, and what that, what that gospel is, is like from, from this film than you do, the others where they're you know they're really trying to kind of reconstruct a kind of pseudo historical jesus yeah i mean i think i'm gonna i'm gonna say maybe maybe you'll you disagree with me and if 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 so you have the you'll have the last word um but i feel that charles bromesco wrote a review of the recent sort of faith-based action film that's just come out with i think it's called the code of silence or something like that is that um, the jim caviezel one caviezel one yes right. and it's all about uh it's all conspiracy theories and QAnon, but yeah. it's all been funded by faith-based right-wing organizations and he says this is a film uh in the same way those family advice clinics are abortion centers you know it's it's <laughs> pretending to be a film to get you to go in so it yeah. can cover you with this propaganda and now to a lesser extent i think a lot of religious cinema has that element not necessarily as su- such a bad faith way but mm. the the priority is evangelical rather than cinematic and um uh and i feel with um certainly i saw a few films in the 90s which were definitely being funded by church groups for that reason Mm. but um in this case i really feel that the priority is is level 
between cinema and 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 the story and mm. and that's what makes this like a, a masterpiece you know it's this is yeah. a, a film which if you if you're a buddhist living um you know in india or if you're it doesn't matter where you come from what you this film is a masterpiece regardless of the context of the um and, and whatever end point end power it has on you um mm. So it's it's yeah I, I really feel Pasolini's uh, work has more than one masterpiece in it, but this is as mm. as as, as, I, as I guess I was saying at the very beginning, this is one that I would suggest people who haven't experienced his work would yeah. uh, would be well advised to begin with. Yeah, yeah, I think I would. I think I'd largely agree with most of, most of that that you've said. That it is, yeah, it it's a film. It's a Jesus film made by. Uh, you know, one of the great, one of the great directors, um, which is why I was, you know, so keen to to come come and talk about it because he, you know, as you say, he has several masterpieces. I think mm. um, um, you, you've already done solo. I'd maybe chuck Turema in there, and maybe Lara Cotter as well. Mm. Um, and 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 I think in some ways, you know, Pasolini's got his own agenda, and he's trying to kind of put that across as well. Um, I. And in some ways, perhaps that puts him on a well, in a trite way, that puts him on a par with the, you know, with some of those more kind of evangelically minded films. But in another sense, he's you know he's an entirely you know he is an artist, mm. and um, and not just in the sense that you know he's a you know is a way of proclaiming him as a director. You know, he's literally mm-hmm. a painter. He's a you know he makes his first off. He's a poet and he's a writer. Mm. And there's a sense with him that he is he is choosing the form, the artistic form that works best for what he's trying to explore and, and convey. And there's always a sense of contradiction with Pasolini in his film. There's always kind of uh, contradictions and this contamination thing that I mentioned earlier with him mixing things together. And and so really, um, and because of that, I think it's that kind of tension and that wrestling and that genuine sense of exploration that really makes this, you know, really makes this a film that isn't just about I've got a point of view I'm going to put it across. That it mm. makes it a, a kind of genuine wrestling with well, what would these things be like if we brought them together and 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 trying to kind of express something of of himself and how he how he saw the world and this this striving I think for that for that that kind of sense of um, that kind of sense of the sacred. I mean. Um, that underlines so much of his, his work, particularly his early work. Absolutely. And um, just before we finish, last last question, last, uh, I, I'm very curious, and this is a little bit off topic, but I'm very curious as to what you feel about the anticipated release of Terence Malick's The Way of the Wind, which is going to be um, a, 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 and probably, you know, one of the greatest American directors uh, you know, addressing the 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 Christ story again. Yeah, I'm I'm really really curious to see to see it. I think um, it is. I mean, yeah, as you say, he's, you know, he's one of the great American directors. Uh, it's both. <laughs> I mean, it's both impossible to know what it's going to be like, but also you kind of get a bit of a sense of what it's going to going to be like. Um, I tend to like the. With there's quite a few of the Jesus films where I like just the kind of slow approach, mm. um, and and Malik will 
seems fairly likely that he will bring bring that to back to the table, <laughs> and and like Pasolini, he is a you know he is another kind of artist that is seeking to bring something of himself to the material and and kind of put a a gen you know a genuine kind of exploration of issues that he's tried to you know I, I get the sense that he's been wrestling with for a long time so mm. i think it will be yeah be really interesting to see how he how he does it um how it how it links to his previous work um i you know i, I mean obviously you're the the expert in that respect but um but uh from what i've seen you know you imagine there will be quite a lot of lot of joining with that and um yeah, and that that trying to kind of express the inexpressible, I suppose. Mm. I think it'll ha- it'll be that kind of film. It'll be the kind of film that's trying to express the inexpressible. To they'll they'll put that on the poster probably. I reckon. Yeah, yeah, expressing the inexpressible. What I like about um, uh, his last film, A Hidden Life, there's a, a scene with a, mm. a, a guy painting a church, and he has this speech about. Mm. Um, they what they don't want me to paint the real Christ. They want me to paint the comfortable Christ, the one that they can look up and say, mm. "If I had been there, I would have adored him." You know, but the real Christ mm. would be the one that they would all kill. And um, that yeah. that as a I've forgotten that quote that, that as a hint makes me feel that mm. we might be getting something which is more Pasolini and less, um, yeah. you know, King of Kings. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think you're I think you're right on that. I think it'll be that kind of that kind of film, and yeah, it'll be really interesting to see to see that how it works out. Absolutely. Well, listen, thank you, Matthew. Um, where right, can thank we, you. Where can our listeners find your work? Where are you? What what are you, what are you working on at the moment? Well, I mean, I used to say Twitter mm, <laughs> or threads. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm not. I haven't made it over there yet, but um, I've. Still got my blog. So if you Google Bible Films blog, that's there. Um, there's my book, which uh, you can get from all the all the usual places. Hundred Bible Films. Um, I've kind of been working as kind of contribution to a, a, um, a group of essays about similar films to this, uh, which is I've contributed a chapter on this film too. That'll probably come out in a couple of years. So watch spaces for that. Um, but I think that'll be a really just interesting book. Um, and yeah, and as I say on, on you know Twitter, I think on Bible Films on Facebook as well. There's me and a, a, a friend do do that. So brilliant. So yeah, thank you so much, Matthew. Once oh, thank more. you, It's been a pleasure.